Um, it's good to be with you again. Uh, will you pray with me? May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Redeemer, our strength, our tower, and our love. Amen. So it's Pride Month, um, and I love a good party. Um, one might be expecting me to preach about something gay. You'll be right. This is, this is what I will be doing. Yes, yes. Um, but before I get into it, um, I'd like to show you a clip from one of my favorite movies, Mean Girls. Um, and so, um, here we go. Having lunch with the plastics was like leaving the actual world and entering girl world. And girl world had a lot of rules. You can't wear a tank top two days in a row, and you can only wear your hair in a ponytail once a week. So I guess you pick today. Oh, and we only wear jeans or track pants on Fridays. Now, if you break any of these rules, you can't sit with us at lunch. Well, I mean, not just you, like, any of us. Okay, like, if I was wearing jeans today, I would be sitting over there with the art freaks. <laughs> oh, and we always vote before we ask someone to eat lunch with us, because you have to be considerate of the rest of the group. Well, I mean, you wouldn't buy a skirt without asking your friends first if it looks good on you. I wouldn't. Right. Oh, and it's the same with guys, like... You may think you like someone, but you could be wrong. Regina, we have to talk to you. Is butter a carb? Yes. Gina, you're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. So? So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Whatever. Those rules aren't real. They were real that day I wore a vest. Because that vest was disgusting. You can't sit with us! Sweatpants are all that fits me right now. Fine. You can walk home. For me, this clip from Mean Girls sets up questions that the greater body of Christ or the church continues to struggle with. What to wear? <laughs> no, no, not quite. Um, we struggle with who's in, who's out. What are the rules of engagement? For some, but not all, high school, in particular, the high school cafeteria remains a problematic space for testing who's invited to be with who, who can sit at the table, who's cool, who's not cool, a measuring up of one's worth. I'm pretty proud to attend Sanctuary. One of the things I love about our community is its stance on inclusion. And I'd argue, I put forward that inclusion is at the heart of God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness to us as a church, to the people, and to the world. I'd like to start off with a reading um, from Acts 8, 26 to 40, Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard a man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter 
and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his simulation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asks Philip, tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot, and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. So this scripture picks up in the book of Acts, a historical account of the early church. Acts is a clear continuation from the gospel of Luke. It's often called Luke-Acts. The book of Acts starts with the Great Commission. Jesus charges the 11 apostles to spread the gospel in Jerusalem, then Samaria, from Samaria to Judea, from Judea, and finally to the end of the world. The apostles are healing people, and the numbers of believers are growing. The early church is being persecuted, and many are fleeing Jerusalem. And this is where our story picks up. Philip, who has been identified as one of the key leaders of the believers, is directed by the Holy Spirit and encounters the eunuch there. A eunuch is a person who began life as a male, but before puberty had undergone castration. If performed early enough, this procedure had significant hormonal consequences. This was often done without the child's consent so that he might grow up and serve some government or social function. We don't know if the eunuch chose to be differently gendered or if it was chosen for him. Eunuchs were often assigned to assist the royal women or guard the royal harem. This one served Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, as a treasurer during one of the most prosperous times in ancient history of the kingdom of Cush. Their statuses as eunuchs also made them vulnerable to violence. They could easily be replaced or killed without repercussions because they had no sons to avenge them. And because they were not quite male or female, they were seen entirely as other. They were spiritually unclean, and according to the laws of Jewish people and the laws of Israel, they would not have been allowed to worship. Um, do you mind putting up the second slide? So in the temple, once you enter in, there are certain courts. The temple is segregated by tribe, by race and gender. The holy place, the most center of the temple, is reserved only for the Levitical priesthood. The inner court is for Jewish men only. Court after that is for Jewish women only. And the outer court where Jesus taught was for the rest, for the leftovers, for the unclean, for the ungendered. See, I can see it now, full of hope, full of expectation. The eunuch might have made it inside of the court of the Gentiles, but he could go no further. He was stopped. He would have saw this sign. No foreigner may enter within the balustrade, which generally means wall around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall he put blame for his death which will ensue. It's not a very kind way to tell someone, you may not enter, you may not go any further. And as we recall from the scripture, he actually went to worship and he's met with a provision that won't allow him to. Many people want to worship Many people of different orientations, of sexual orientations, of genders, of expressions, so forth and so on, want to worship and are turned away from the Lord's house with signs not too different from these ones. Well, wait, Chris, are you saying that the eunuch was LGBTQQIAAAA? 
Um, and I would say, no, I am not saying that at all. These are modern categories, and you, it's hard to impose modern categories on historical ideas, on historical figures, because he would not have understood himself in these terms of LGBTQIAA. But what's clear is that he is an other. He's an outsider. He's not quite male, not quite female. And like him, I understand this sense of what it means to be an outsider, not to be able to sit at the table. Sometimes religious systems, institutions, and religious people don't want to let the other in. They may turn them away, send them back to the desert. But if the Ethiopian had to leave, if he had to leave and he couldn't go further, I'm glad Isaiah was his take-home reading. Because in that book, instead of hearing a sad song of exclusion, he would hear symphonies of hope from God who promises peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Isaiah 57, 19. I like to think that the eunuch catches a prophetic vision of a time still to come where he wonders when God's house will be called a house of prayer for all nations and for all people. See, Philip, the other character in our story, might know something about what it means to be an outcast himself, because if we go back and read earlier in Acts chapter 8, we discover that Philip has just been run out of Jerusalem due to the great persecution that has broken out against the church. Philip is no longer a welcome guest at the temple either, he, too, is now excluded and exists on the margins. Following the promptings of the angel, Philip travels south along the road, the desert road that leads to Gaza, and there he sees this royally dressed, beautiful black man whose gender is questionable, his race is ambiguous, he is doubly an other, twice unclean. But if Philip has any hesitation, any doubt, Luke does not record it. No, what we read is that when the Spirit urged Philip to join himself to this man, Philip does not resist. So what might we take from this so far? That there can be systems of laws and laws created to disenfranchise the marginalized, and we might take a cue from Philip to run towards them, to draw close to those who find themselves in a desert place, turned away, and letting nothing separate us from expressing God's love to those who are in most need of it. So when, Philip tells us, when the Spirit tells Philip to go, he doesn't just go. He runs headlong into the company of a brother who is doubly other. Jogging alongside the chariot, Philip shouts, do you understand what you're reading? The way the question is phrased in Greek, and my Greek is pretty bad, it generally says, well, he's expecting a negative answer, and he receives it. The unit responds, well, how can I understand unless someone guides me or explains it to me? So he invites Philip to come up and sit for a while in the cool shade of his chariot, a gracious act of hospitality from a man who's been excluded to a church leader on the run. You know, we all need a beloved community. We all need someone who is not afraid to wrestle with us, even in our difference, as we attempt to discern God's will and word in our lives. You see, Philip would have understood the status of this man. Philip is fully aware that this eunuch is unclean, fully aware that he is playing now fast and loose with the spirit. And he's still obedient. These two men, they draw close together, and Philip there begins to explain the story of Jesus, a savior who is rejected by his people, and how his life was taken away from the earth, how his death is redemptive, how he reconciles all people to God and to one another. Philip talks about the resurrection, he preaches a new creation, and the truth that is in Jesus Christ, which is that we are all one. Maybe they keep on reading. I like to think that they do. There's some holy irony here as they travel through this desert along this hot, dry, dusty road. I particularly don't like to be outside, so I find this part of the scripture particularly challenging. Uh, I don't want to be outside on a hot, dusty road 
but there the scripture is clear, that's where they are. And by now, the eunuch has heard God's promises to make streams in a desert where there had been none, to do a new thing so that the former things can be passed away, and to make a way where there is no way. And finally, the eunuch hears the sweet promise of Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. It says, let not the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. This is sort of like saying, I have nothing to give. I'm done. I have no fruit. I have nothing to offer. Sanctuary, we all have something to offer. We have something to offer ourselves, something to offer the church, something to offer the believers. We have something to offer. And the Lord responds, for, those, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and for who hold fast to my covenant, I will give within my house and within my walls a place, a name. Again, I will give him a place, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give him an everlasting name that will not be cut off. But now on this dusty highway, on this road, Having felt like his whole life he was a dry tree, fruitless, he suddenly looks up and sees a stream in the desert. Here is water. Here is my way to a way. Here is my new thing. And he interrupts Philip in the middle of his speech and says, what shall prevent me from being baptized? The this, this statement feels even more pertinent, even more strong, given that he would have saw a sign that would have prevented him from worship. But at this moment, there's nothing to prevent him, nothing to stand in his way from being baptized. I like to think that the early manuscripts do not record Philip's answer. We can imagine that Philip, or I like to imagine that Philip smiling mouths a single word to the eunuch, nothing prevents you from being baptized. In Sanctuary, I have to be honest, there have been times in my life where I have felt like a barren tree, that I have felt like a walking disaster. There are times when I have felt empty and all used up. There are times when I have been in a desert place. Actually, um, I, when I was younger, about eight or nine, I intended to be a pastor like my father. Uh, and it became clearer and clearer to my parents that that would not be appropriate, um, or it wouldn't be what uh, my church would accept. And so this Scripture seems to jump out to me in ways that feel like exclusion can only be toppled by inclusion. It can only ever be brought down by love. And there's nothing that can stand in the way of our love to God, and more importantly, God's love to us, and that God is faithful. Even if we don't feel it, even if it doesn't seem like it, God remains faithful. So the question is, what is to prevent us from being truly inclusive? Nothing. Sanctuary, the inclusivity that we practice here is not about niceness. I do know something about Iowa nice, um, being not from Iowa. It is a particular thing. Yes, it is. But that's here, we're not about Iowa nice. It's not about being kind, although I hope we see kindness in ourselves as a community. It's about God's faithfulness. It's about enacting God's faithfulness to all the people around us. That's at the heart of inclusion. We're also being asked to be with our brothers and sisters through difference, because of difference, while recognizing to choose to be joined together, choosing to love each other, choosing community over isolation. We might have to chase each other's chariots down in the desert, in the hot sun. We might be led to share our faith our resources, our kindness, even with those we do not like or feel comfortable with, and particularly to those we might not like or feel comfortable with. 
And finally, there are no lone wolves in our pack. I don't want to turn back to the first clip I showed of the women gathered at the table together. They're arguing about who's inside and who's outside. They're rehearsing what I would call legalism. The trouble is that you can't kick someone out of a table that is not yours. This is God's table. Our responsibility as Christians, or better yet, as Christ's ambassadors, is to present God's table to the world and to move over ever so slightly to allow others to sit, to be made welcome, to be at home near us. The church has hurt a great many of people among us. I speak not only of queer people in the congregation, but a variety of people who have grown up in churches or in families where they have felt othered and unwelcome. Actually, I don't know too many people who have grown up in church and who are unscathed by growing up in church. I don't, I can't think of two people actually who have not felt the burn or the distance of being othered, who have not been made to feel like they were imperfect who lives don't line up with the way that people think their lives should line up. But God is faithful. And the good news is that this is God's table. And that if he is indeed the savior of the world, and he is the savior of those especially who believe, this is God's table. And because this is God's table, we are invited to participate in communion together as a family as those who love the Lord and love each other.